We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX commands simulated. Don't miss the Xfinity Beyond Black Friday event. Get $100 back on a package that's right for you. That's a gift. You'll unwrap amazing speed and Wi-Fi coverage from America's best internet provider. Plus, the Emmy Award-winning X1 voice remote with Xfinity X1. The easiest all-in-one entertainment experience. A gift in a gift in a gift. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. The Xfinity Beyond Black Friday event ends December 10th. So click, call, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. New X1 double play and triple play customers only. Minimum one to two year term contract required. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, a missable opinion brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined by friend of the pod and regular guest co-host, you know who it is, it's Mike Miller, and today is a special edition of the Barcelona Podcast, not for the faint of heart. This is one for those who really are in deep to the Catalan Club. Today we are talking about Hungary and Hungary's relationship, as in the different players that have been from Hungary or were from Hungary who then wound up to play for FC Barcelona. Again, Mike, this is for those, the deep divers, and I'm so glad you were able to join me for this one. You excited? Very much so, Dan. Thank you very much for having me. And I would also mention that all of our Hungarian listeners, not only do we appreciate you, and I guess we say that this show really is for you more than anyone else. Um, so our pronunciations, again, I have to apologize uh, for my pronunciations, Hungarian is not a language that uh, is in my Rolodex, in my repertoire. And, and Mike, I know that you speak a bunch of languages, but I don't think Hungary is on your list either. No, not yet. <laughs> so again, Mike and I will have to you know, bear with us for pronunciations, but we'll do our best, uh, of course, to make sure that I've been doing a lot of documentary watching. So let's get started. And right where we'll start is before the time of the 1950s, where everyone really knows the Hungarian players and the big ones, obviously the headline, you see it in the cover art. It's Lazo Kubala, as well as the two who he brought with him in Zoltan Shibor and Sandor Koshis. So we'll get to them in a bit. But where we start our story is in 1923, 
Ferenc Platko, who was a goalkeeper, made 189 appearances for Barcelona from 23 to 1930. He was a teammate of Paulinho Alcantara, Josef Samtier, and more on him in a bit, and Saga Barba, three of Barcelona's first stars, if you will. So Platko was the goalkeeper for them. He only played six matches for the Hungarian national team from 1917 to 23. And in 1922, while with MTK Hungaria FC, they played two friendlies with FC Barcelona. Both were 0-0 draws, and he impressed enough to be offered a contract. And then he had the task of replacing Ricardo Zamora, the very same Zamora trophy that you see now. It's the namesake, one of the, again, first real superstars of Barcelona. And from there, Platko became the undisputed starter from 23 to 30, his time at the club. Three Copa del Reyes, six Catalan championships, and won La Liga title from 1928 to 29, also the first ever season of La Liga. And I think the most interesting thing about this Mike, is that there was a poem written about Platko, and we're going to put that in the show notes, called The Oda a Platko. It was written after the Copa del Rey final in 1928, when FC Barcelona faced Real Sociedad on three different occasions. One won after extra time for both the first two, and then Barcelona finally conquered the rival on the third attempt in try number three, 3-1. It was after that first game that the legendary Andalusian poet Rafael Alberti wrote the poem. Again, that'll be in the show notes. And it's such an interesting thing, too, because it seems like football and celebrity all the time mess together. And so Platko, by replacing this famous Zamora, winds up being a superstar in his own right, first ever season of La Liga. And he also is, is a... The thing about Platko that was interesting is that he it's a recognition that to discover players early on in that time in the 20s and the 30s, it really was just you playing a friendly or you're traveling somewhere else with your team and you notice, hey, a guy on the other team is really, really talented. We've got the chains to bring him over, so let's see what he's up to. Exactly, and as you mentioned, he he really made his mark with Barca, um, being part of that squad which, was, uh, which won the first La Liga campaign. But what's also interesting about Ferenc Platko is that after he retired as a as a footballer after his playing career, he also became a manager and he managed Barca on two occasions. And the, on his first occasion as a manager with Barca, he could uh, it could be said that he nearly saved the club from uh, from being bankrupt during the civil war. La Liga suspended its uh, its activities. And uh, all clubs had to compete in their own regional championships. Barcelona uh, com- had to compete in the Catalan uh, championship. And lots of players obviously left either to France or to, to, to Mexico uh, to, to, to pursue their career. But he stuck around and he stayed with the club. And uh, Patrick O'Con- O'Connell took over after him and... That mandate actually saved the club, and uh, without these two men as uh, managers during that period, we probably would not have heard of uh, this wonderful club called FC Barcelona. Yeah, that's very true. And where that rings clear, too, that's interesting about that, again, you hear the name Platko, and then obviously Patrick O'Connell is not a Spanish name either. And it was it was found that not only before Franco took over later on, obviously, but even in the 30s during the Spanish Civil War, that foreigners had a much better relationship with the government and bigger bodies because, again, they were not seen as having all these suspect motives of, of again, try, being on one side or another of the Civil War. 
Um, and so that's why Placo did have a better relationship and wasn't seen with these suspicious eyes as a Catalan manager might have been. And that said, as you mentioned, he did 20 years later return to Barcelona. His last management stint after years around Europe and South America included stops at Celta de Vigo, Colo Colo in Chile, and the Chilean national team. He managed Barcelona in the 55-56 season, and that was a team that included the Spanish Luis Suarez and Kubala. They won 10 La Liga games in a row, and yet that was not enough as he was replaced at the end of the season, finishing second to Athletic Bilbao in the table. So there is Ferenc Plotko. He is the first of the Hungarian connections, but he doesn't really have a connection with any of the other players. But to say that he wasn't a, a legend in his own right is incorrect. I think, again, the poem for him, the Oda a Plotko, will be in the description, as we'll move on to a player who just four years later is the second Barcelona player and you'll have to mention that in in these professional players and in the guys who wound up starring for Barcelona of these six Hungarians that we're going to go over and seven if you kind of use one later on but of these six players three of them or excuse me four of them are big are, are legends as we've talked about we already said their names and the other two and this is the first of the two are are smaller than footnotes where I really had to dig and dig and dig to find anything on from 1934 to 1936 Elamer there's, again, nothing even in English on the internet that I could find. He was a midfielder, 28 appearances, three goals uh, that were at least recorded. This is a time where, again, not every match would have been put in the record books. This is just what we know as of now. And if we're actually being exact, he was even born in present-day Romania, which was at the time part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And that's why he was technically a naturalized Hungarian citizen. He played for the likes of Ferenc Varel's TC, which is, again, one of the biggest clubs in Hungary. Seven games with the Hungarian national team from 28 to 1930. And RC Paris in the newly established Ligue 1. He moved to Barcelona from Ligue 1 for three years and then finished up his career with Le Havre in the French second division at the time before becoming a manager in Hungary, Italy, England, and Spain, most notably for Real Saragossa, Espanyol, and Sabadell right in Catalonia, serving for a year or less at each of those stops. And as any wise man would do, he did retire to Barcelona, died there in 1993 at the age of 88. But again, he was a midfielder, but uh, for Elmer Burkessi, just a, a very small footnote uh, in, in the annals of Barcelona history. Exactly. And to be honest with you, uh, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I had never heard of this player before. <laughs> you introduced it to me earlier today, uh, Dan. So... Uh, <laughs> certainly not uh he certainly did not have the same impact as uh, the previous sport that we had mentioned well the next one that's the ironic thing we're going to again probably the most obscure of the hungarian players for barcelona to you have to say the most famous again the the stories of kubala and then we're going to transition to to shibor and koshis they're all intertwined but in the timeline and the timeline winds up being really really important here as we talk about uh, the politics of the time what was going on in hungary what was going on in the world the difference between socialism and communism and those different governments and those all those details wind up being really important into this story and forward into the the story of hungarian football so let's start with lazo kubala or uh, Ladislao Kubala in Spanish, 1951 to 1961. He was obviously a forward, played in 219 official appearances, 152 goals, 345 appearances total, 280 goals. And his arrival at the club, you want to talk about superstars and saving the club, coincided with a major increase of members, 26,300 members in 1950, and that doubled to more than 52,000 by 1961. So in the 11 years he was there, Barcelona doubled their their club membership 
and it was Frances Muriel Sanz becomes the new president of Barcelona in 1953. That's when the team starts working on the Camp Nou, and Kubala really was that first big draw of the Camp Nou that people said, hey, come see this guy. He's something special. And I, I think, obviously, Mike, we had talked off-air before this. I'll let you get into the return of that name I mentioned, Josep Samatier and Kubala's uh, arrival at the club and how those two were intertwined. Exactly. Joseph Samitier at the time was uh, was a sporting director, but he had also been a legendary uh, player for, for FC Barcelona earlier uh, in Barca's history. And the fact that Samitier had a good relationship with the government allowed him to, to bring in these international stars to FC Barcelona, Kubala being one of them, but there are several others that we're going to that, that, that we can think of, like uh, Evaristo, for example, um, like the other uh, Hungarians, Gibor uh, um, and Coxis, being, a, being, a, being a, a Hungarian national himself, Kubala had to leave uh, Hungary early on in his life uh, to, to escape uh, communism, to escape... Uh, to escape the, the war and he he first escaped to Czechoslovakia before coming over to, to, to Barca and what's special about Kubala like you said is that he was a huge draw some people would say that at the time he was as big as Messi is today if not bigger because the club actually had to build a stadium in 1957 thanks to him because the old stadium was not big enough to, 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 to contain the, the thousands of people coming over just to watch him. There is a statue of him today in present day in front of Camp Nou to commemorate his, uh, his time with Barca. And up until that time in history, you can almost see him as the, the, the John Gemper of the 1950s, literally. And, he was a driving force in the team that is now known as the Barca of the Five Cups. But he also played under, uh, at the time he was playing on Ferdinand Dauchik. But he also stuck around from 1950 all the way to 1961, uh, playing under Helenio uh, Herrera at the time, who is also uh, another legendary manager. Uh, Dauchik and Herrera both managing at the highest level for 37 years each. And uh, Kubala not only had an impact on the field or on the institution, but he actually convinced two other world-class players, part of the Hungarian national team, to join him, Gibor and, uh, and Kokshis. And to think that he didn't represent Hungary at the World Cup of 1954, uh, and that team cutting it very close, coming very close to, to, to winging it all, losing to Germany 3-2. to two. One can only speculate of what that team could have done had it counted Kubala amongst its ranks. Yeah, his international career, as we had mentioned, he leaves Hungary in 1949 as a refugee, and he signs in with Barcelona on June 15, 1950, after he was actually uh, he was banned from all international competitions because the way he left, there was also both in Czechoslovakia and Hungary, was that he was trying to flee military service, and that was a big issue uh, with the, the, the governments had with him. And the deal that actually brought him to Barcelona in 1950 that was facilitated by Semitier 
as you mentioned, brought Dalsek, who not only was he the former Czechoslovakia coach, but he was also Kubala's father-in-law. And so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of nepotism there, but the ban on Kubala lasted until 1951. He was allowed to play in the Copa del Generalismo uh, at the time, which obviously is the Copa del Rey today, and that's when he won his first trophy. And then in 51-52, you talked about the five trophies, and even in, in that season where he only really had 26 goals in 19 games, seven of which came in a 9 nothing win over Sporting de Gijon, he really did again wind up being the, the guiding force and the leader in that team. The interesting thing was the next season that, yes, we do know about those five trophies. We know about uh, that famous season that was, you'd have to say, since the era of, of Gamper and, and, again, that season um, in, in 1935. But other than those seasons with Gamper back in the day, this was really that next time when Barcelona kind of put themselves on the map behind Kubala. And, again, the interesting thing was that in 1952, he winds up coming down with a bout of tuberculosis, missing almost the entire next season but then has this miraculous recovery, returns late in the season to help the team both capture another La Liga title and another Copa del Generalissimo. Uh, 14 total hat-tricks while with Barcelona. You can't say enough that he was his first superstar. And what's interesting about the history of Kubala at Barcelona is that because of the time period that Spain was going through, you don't really hear all these heroic tales. It's all coming from the media in Barcelona, obviously. They're their hero, but he winds up not being this national hero, obviously, because of the relationship between Barcelona and and the Spanish government at the time. And then on a bigger scale, as you mentioned, the international uh, scope of his career, he didn't have that relationship with the Hungarian government, so he plays six matches with Czechoslovakia, three for Hungary, 19 matches and 11 goals for Spain from 1950 to 61. It's actually most famous... Uh, international appearances came with the Catalonian national team and these Europe 11s that would also play where he would play with his friend and Real Madrid legend, Franz Puskas. So he actually never played a major tournament, being named to the Spain 1962 World Cup, but missing out, unfortunately, later on in his career due to injury. And, and it was those last few seasons that wound up, uh, you even mentioned the name in, in Coach Herrera, that because of a fallout in 1960 between them, he missed the 1960 European Cup semifinal, where Barcelona lose 6-2 over two legs. Herrera then is fired. Kubala returns to the team. 1961, Barcelona returned the favor the following year, knocking Real Madrid before losing to Benfica in the European Cup final. And so at the end of the day, four La Liga titles, five Copa del Generalismos, two Intercities Fair Cups, one Latin Cup, and two Copa Eva Duertes, which, again, these are different competitions that happened at the time. And... It feels like, as I said, the story with Kubala, because he was in conflict with so many people all the time, do you think that it all stained his legacy? From a personal standpoint, I don't think that this particular aspect stains his legacy. Uh, The only thing that history kind kind of uh, has forgotten, though, is that back in those days, the Intercities Fairs Cup was... The, the first European Cup that we had ever heard uh, about. And for, for uh, a few seasons, people weren't sure which one was more prestigious between the Inner Cities Fairs Cup and the European Cup, which is today's uh, UEFA Champions League. And Kubala won it twice with this great Barca team of the 1950s. But few people remember about this tournament and... In, in today's terms, it's all about the Champions League because the Champions League is a direct a direct descendant of, of that old European Cup of the late 50s. And I think that 
this fact, along with the fact that he hasn't disputed a major tournament with, uh, with a national team, probably stains his relationship a little bit. However, in terms of uh, his uh, FC Barcelona career, his story cannot be disputed or contested by anyone who loves or knows about football. Yeah, that actually, I think, is the point that we get down to it, is that his international career at the time, you think about the, the star that Pele was, then he made his name at the World Cup. And I, I think the next part of this, it's a perfect transition because Kubala, as we had mentioned, brought in, in 1958, both Zoltan Zibor and Sandor Koshis from 1958 to 61. So Zibor's time is a little less. And then 1965 is how long Koshis plays. And now, obviously, they're most famous as a part of Hungary's Mighty Magyars, that team that, as you had already mentioned, lost in the 1954 World Cup to West Germany. And for Zibar, let's start with him. Only 76 appearances, 25 goals, but certainly a real legend, a 5'7 left winger. He made his name at Honved with Puskas and a bunch of other of the members of the Hungarian na- uh, na- national team at the time. And what was important about Honved at that moment was that between Bolsheks and, and Puskas, they won two Hungarian league titles. And they it, it started what we've seen with when Germany won the World Cup, even back in 2014, that relationship they had with Bayern Munich, where and even when Spain won the World Cup with Barcelona and Real Madrid being the backbone of those teams, that was one of that was an innovative idea at the time was to have this club team in Honved wind up being the backbone of the Hungarian national team. So that's what made the national team stronger as it was. It had all of these players who were playing together all the time, and it was at the time a revolutionary idea. Um, but then speaking of revolutions, again, that was the issue when the Hungarian Revolution started in Budapest. None of the players wanted to return back to Hungary after their opening round first leg game against Athletic Bilbao in the European Cup. The second leg was then played in Brussels in Belgium, a game they lost. And Sibor actually even played in net in that competition after an injury to the goalkeeper. But then families were brought from Budapest and Sibor headed to Italy, played a few unofficial matches for Roma before Kubala asked him to come to Barcelona as well as Košic. He scored in his La Liga debut, won the Copa del Rey, and the Liga title in 1959, and then the Liga and Copa F- and the Fairs Cup, as we mentioned, in 1960. He scored twice in the Fairs Cup final against Birmingham City in a 4-2 win. He also made it to the European Cup in 1961 that we already mentioned. They lost to Benfica, and then he would move to Espanyol in 1961, played a few more seasons, and returned to Hungary after retiring, dying in, 19, in 1997 at the age of 68. And he was only there for four seasons, Mike, but I think the idea with Zibor, and you can watch, uh, the good thing is because of his international success, you can watch a lot of highlights. And this was a guy that probably actually didn't even reach his peak at Barcelona. He might have actually been on the downside a little bit. It was the mid-50s where Zibor, when he had all his speed to him on that, what Hungary at the time in the World Cup was playing, and throughout the 50s, a 4-2-4. And Shibor was at left wing, and he just absolutely dominated in a way that no one at that position had before. Exactly. Uh, you're exactly right about this. And uh, sure, he was in the, the last few productive years of his career. But because he was surrounded with such world-class players, including players that, he, that were his close friends, he was able to, to get a last... A last big push out of that career, and uh, I don't know if he would have had the same opportunity to perform at that level and win uh, trophies uh, had he gone to Roma instead. I think that there was a big motivational and 
and sentimental factor attached to his uh, to his time with Barcelona, and he was. He was enjoying football and he was enjoying life surrounded with, uh, surrounded with his friends. And it, it was a great way to finish his high-profile high career. And maybe that time in Barcelona has enabled him to get a few more years after that playing for various uh, clubs. Also, the interesting thing about Zoltan Zibor and Sandor Kolshis, both of them, is that playing for Elenio Herrera would have been considered as being a uh, kind of a how, how do I put this it could have been considered as being kind of a a chore to play for such a for such a, a manager because Helenio Herrera was extremely uh dedicated to the to, to to his defense and he was probably the father of what we now know as Cantenaccio but Despite the way that Zibor, uh, Koshis, and Kubala were creative players and talented and versatile forwards, they still they still followed uh, Herrera and they were able to to, to 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 gain a lot of success under the Argent- under this Argentine manager. Yeah, tactically, what they brought from the Hungarian national team as well was that what we again in that four two four was that a first idea under Gustav Sebes of immediately taking back the ball. And the way that Pep's Barcelona pressed, and the, and the way we love that, of course, where you the best place to win the ball is once you've given it right back to your opponent. And the Hungarian golden team in the 50s was the very first team to do that. They went 32 games unbeaten, and there are so many stories and tales of the opponents saying they were just so suffocating. That's what they did. They immediately turned you over. And Kosius somehow, now switching gears a little bit to Sandor Kosic, was that while Zibor might wind up, and I think it has to do with his friendship with Puskas, who is the biggest, we have to mention, the biggest star of all of them, even though he's a Real Madrid player, yet Zibor seemed to be the bigger star with Hungary, while Kosic, who was the leading scorer at the World Cup, 11 goals, then in the next 10 matches for Hungary after the World Cup, scored 16 goals, still holds the average record for, excuse me, the record for average goals per game against FIFA Class A competition, and leads Hungary to win 16 matches and draw three of their next 19 played by until the end of 1955. So right after the World Cup, they lost just once in 52 games during six dominant seasons. And then right after that, three losses and a draw. Sebes is, uh, is then seen as, as untrustworthy by the communist government and is let go. And that kind of winds up being the end of it. The, the magical Majirs hang it up after they go to Moscow in 1956. And Zibor scores the only goal of a one nothing win over the Soviet Union. It's a really famous match. Again, we employ you to look it up, see some of the highlights. He, they do it in front of 102,000 people. This is just one month before the Hungarian Revolution, obviously, where the Soviet Union then took back uh, uh, Hungary as then a communist state. And of the two, being Zibor and Kosic, Kosic is the bigger Barcelona legend of the two, even though Zibor, you could argue, is the bigger Hungarian legend. And... Well, again, saying that, Koshi still 75 goals for Hungary in 68 appearances, but it was for Barcelona where he really shone. He, like Sibor, played one season, not at Roma, but at Young Fellows Zurich in Switzerland before Kubala brought him to Barcelona. He made his debut against Real Batiste, scoring on his debut. Again, the two La Liga titles, the Copa del Generalísimo, in which he scored two times in the final and the Ferris Cup that we had already mentioned about. And then after Zibor left in 1963, um, it, it was Koshis that became the focus of, of that forward line as well. He spent, 
uh, at time as a coach after he retired. And he also stayed in Barcelona. This is an important note, too, that Cochise endeared himself to the Catalan people by by having Barcelona not only be his last club, but retired there, opened a restaurant in Barcelona called Tete d'Or, that uh, Tete d'Or, how do you say that? Tete d'Or. Tete d'Or. Yeah, yeah. Um, op- opened a restaurant called Tete d'Or that, that while the success of the restaurant is unimportant, it, again, endeared pe- uh, him to the people of Barcelona. He goes on to manage Heracles CF between 1972 and 74, and that's where things get tragic. Again, we, there is a soft spot, a spot in our hearts for people that seem to die young. And he was diagnosed with leukemia and stomach cancer and dies at 49. Uh, again, and it was also in, ragic, in rather tragic fashion. And just like the great uh, Catalan architect in Antony Gaudi, it's not a similar story. But because of the way that he tragically dies, that it, it really does kind of turn your stomach when you read about how it goes on. A guy that had made 235 official appearances for Barcelona scores 151 goals. He winds up being a legend, and it does. Kosciusz's legend winds up being amplified by again the way that he died, and he died being uh, uh, in his adopted city, being a, a Barcelona native. Exactly, exactly, and uh, like you said, his death was so tragic. But he was he died in the city he loved, and in the city of the club where he had such great success. And to this day, people remember him and remember his story at Barca. And obviously, his time with Barca is so much intertwined with uh, that of Gibor and uh, and Kubala. But there is something there is something special about his story. The fact that he died young, like you said. And going back to the to to to, to his time with the Ma- mighty Magyars uh, after 1954, sure him and all his teammates left uh, Hungary shortly thereafter and had great uh, club careers elsewhere in Europe but there's also another noteworthy fact and that that is the the fact that the Hungarian government either because of lack of means or to to despite that national team that fell short in the FIFA World Cup final they sort of divested and they they they, they, they started limited their involvement in in football more and more to a point where to a point where that 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 great generation of 1954 was the last one that we had ever seen from a Hungarian national team yeah that is the shameful thing it's not even that the the first team left because again that was a huge and you think about it uh, again here in the United States when you have a big star on the TV, and I think about the rise of the United States English, uh, the, the women's game, is that when, when Mia Hamm in the World Cup winds up being a star, that brings so many little girls saying, that's what I want to be like her. I, it, is, it is imitation. And so once those first team stars are gone, there, there are no stars to watch anymore. 1,200 football players from Hungary wind up fleeing during that time. Uh, right after the Hungarian Revolution and, and right around that time, including some of the youth teams for Hungary as well, wind up defecting while overseas at youth tournaments. And then they never, these youth players never return. And so if anything, not only did they lose their present, but they lost their future as well. And, and speaking of present, an interesting thing, uh, Mike, I haven't even said this guy's name to you yet, but there is hmm. one other player. We're, we're on number six now as we transition, but we actually haven't changed the time period. There were actually four Hungarian players playing on Barcelona in 1961. It wasn't just Kubala, 
Koshis and Zibor, but because he's, again, not at all famous, played as a left winger as well, as basically a backup to, to Zibor, and it was Tibor Slale from 1961 to 63. He was on the books at Barcelona, um, but he really na- made his name at Sevilla, also played at Real Murcia. He was born in present-day Slovakia, then part of Czechoslovakia, a nationalized Hungarian citizen due to the first Vienna Award in 1938. Now, this is, again, really in the weeds. We're not going to get into all this, but uh, the socioeconomics of this is that it was a separated region that had a mainly Magyar populated area that the ethnic group of the Magyars, of course, in southern Slovakia and now parts of western Ukraine. And they gave the regions to Hungary. And that's why he was a Hungarian citizen. He left that area of Hungary, though, to become a footballer like many others at the time, as we mentioned playing in Hungary, Austria, Spain, Turkey, and the last few years of his career in the United States. He was discovered by Barcelona, as many were, during his first three years at Sevilla, where he actually made 70 appearances, scored at least 25 goals. Again, the documentation and the records are are not exactly 100%, but then he makes the move to Catalonia in 1961. The squad got second in the league, as we mentioned, to Real Madrid in 61, and second to Valencia in the Intercities Fairs Cup in 1962. And the only other information that I find I found for his coming to Barcelona, along with in a not the similar deal, but at the similar time as Jesus Pereira, was that Sevilla sold him to pay off some of their debt from their the Roman Sanchez Stadium or the Roman Sanchez Pizjuan Stadium. He was shipped off to Real Murcia in 1963 after not playing at all that season, and that ended his unsuccessful time with Barcelona. And a different fun note, he played for five different teams in the U.S., most notably for New York Hungaria, who actually played he, he actually played for them in between his time with Barcelona and Real Murcia in 1963. And it was right after New York Hungaria had won what is now the U.S. Open Cup or the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. So he winds up coming to the United States and living for a considerable amount of time in the States as well. But he is... You want to talk about footnotes. He's a player that, it, as we as you think about the past, Mike, all the successful careers of guys who succeed, you wind up hearing about them. But in, in essence, if you do enough digging, and again, nothing on, on Zale was in English. Everything had to be translated in different languages. So I'm hoping that my information is correct and, tra- and translates properly, uh, again, using the, the, the fun, fun internet. But not every guy succeeded. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> and uh, since you're bringing up a U.S. connection with this player, uh, I couldn't stop myself from bringing up a Canadian connection that uh, two other Hungarians uh, who spent time in Barcelona had. Zoltan Zibor finished his career in 1965 with Toronto City, and Laszlo Kubala finished his playing career in 1967 with the Toronto Falcons. Actually hooking back up with his father-in-law as well as his brother, who came over <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it winds up being a family affair. And that was a time where, again, you talk about draws— he comes to the North America and he says, hey, look, it's, it's Laszlo Kubala who starred in, in Barcelona and they wound up getting a pretty good draw. And then all of a sudden it just like as now this is prior to the NASL, but then the NASL, it just all dries up rather quickly. <laughs> Correct. And, uh, you know, this this generation was uh, so great that of the 1950s until the early 60s that after the La Liga title of 1960 we hadn't seen another La Liga title in Barcelona until 1974 with Johan Cruyff and after the European Cup final of 1961 Barca hadn't seen another European Cup final until 1986 uh, against uh, Steaua Bucharesti in Sevilla 
Yeah, they were they were winners. That's what they were. They they won with Hungary, and yes, while well, that nineteen fifty four World Cup final eludes them, it, it it should not be forgotten. And these players certainly, that's why we're doing this, should not be forgotten as being just really important parts of of, of what Barcelona were. And again, it has to be mentioned that the fact that they were refugees, the fact that that Barcelona was in, in essence, you know, protecting them and saving them from from this this world that they didn't want to be a part of anymore. Uh, it was some good faith and good publicity for Barcelona, FC Barcelona, if you will. Um, and now we're going to fast forward a little bit. There may have been other Hungarian youth players with Barcelona um, in the past, but again, that is records that I am not privy to and much, much uh, more difficult to research than I have the time for. But we do want to give a special mention. There was a youth player, Matthias Tajit, who moved from Puskas AFC to the Barcelona's Youth Academy in 2014 joining up with the Juvenil Bays at the time. He played for the Juvenil Osmen in 2015-2016 before moving on to Malaga's B team, Atletico Malaguena. And then in July of this past summer, he moved back to Hungary to Daskior in the Hungarian First Division, where, this is the good news, he has 14 starts and two goals on the season. So he is, uh, he winds up not being one of those not to say failures at, at La Masia, but he's not a player that wound up not having a professional career. It seems like he's finally found a home again back in Hungary uh, after, again, making his way through Spain. And so a youth player like that, he is still only 20. So, uh, again, I would not expect Tajdi to ever come back to Barcelona. Again, you don't know what the future does hold. But, again, at that point, you wouldn't expect that he's ever going to reach the levels to come back to the camp. No. That said, Mike, this is a big question we'll wrap it up with. Looking at the state of Hungarian football, uh, and they did do rather well at the last Euro- European cha- uh, Championship as well, and they do have a, a few talented players out there. But I do have a question, when is the next time that Barcelona are going to have a Hungarian star? And I wonder whether or not it'll have to be a player that comes up through the Youth Academy, or because uh, I wonder what kind of player is going to be able to rise up, uh, not only from the Hungarian youth systems, but is going to reach the level of Barcelona. I don't know when the next time that's going to be. I, it's a very good question, Dan. And I'm thinking the next Hungarian star will probably be trained elsewhere. And if that Hungarian star makes a solid enough impact, uh, then perhaps uh, Barcelona can sign that Hungarian star in the future. But as we speak, uh it's a very very tough call to make you know i mean uh, as of today i i can't see one uh, even looking at other big clubs let's say if we signed uh, an, uh, an underage uh, uh, an underage player who would be uh, without a contract for a period of time but apart from that it would have to be it would have to be in the next uh, generation for sure yeah adam naji at at bolonga is the m- most we'll say the most famous Hungarian player at the moment or the one to seen with the biggest potential but he does play at the defensive midfield position which if you didn't notice Barcelona not only they linked with other talented young uh, defensive midfielders but they also have a ton of a uh, talented defensive midfielders at the club as well so that is a tight position but again you never know uh, there are players who might be 16 17 years old that we've never heard of and going all the way back bringing this full circle to the time of Plotko sometimes all it takes is showing up and doing well in a friendly or some kind of youth tournament and then all of a sudden your entire life has changed and you've been noticed by the Barcelona scouts well Mike thanks so much for joining me on this one again this is a complicated show a lot of details we threw a ton at you 
Um, and again, we'd implore you that not only do you check in the show notes, we have some of those names, we have the time periods they played for the clubs. Um, and because there's so few players, unlike the French show that we did, this is again the precursor to this one. There are more of these to come. I promise you that. Of course, uh, there is the Netherlands show, which we'll have sometime in the future. It does, it, it does, uh, the release of that show does coincide with the future, we'll say, of two young Ajax players and whether or not they wind up at Barcelona. But I kind of want to figure out what their future is. And then we'll be working on, there is a ton more players from the Netherlands. We have Brazil. We have a surprising number from Paraguay. So there are tons more of these shows. And if you like these shows, let us know. And so thanks so much for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show to subscribe. You can find us on social media too. We'd love feedback for episodes like this. It helps us make more and more of these. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13 for me. On Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions. You can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And Mike, of course, they can also find you on play different places as well, right? Exactly. They could find me on Twitter at Mike Miller FC and uh, on my personal Twitter, I tweet mostly in English and uh, on my podcast, Le Blaugrana podcast, which is in French. uh, My Twitter handle is at Blaugrana pod. I'm also very much active on your, uh, on your close Facebook group (laughs) and (laughs) Stay tuned, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be part of these shows, uh, Dan. Yeah, I really enjoy getting into the weeds with you, Mike, and thanks again for helping out with these as always. And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining in for another edition and a special edition of the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon, and Forza, Mike. Forza. At Metro, the best deal in wireless is on. Switch to Metro and get one full Amazon Prime membership included every month. Plus, get two free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens. All with two lines for just 90 bucks. That's the best deal in wireless, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.